everybody and welcome to the first episode of 2021 of the Audio Rambling Podcast. Now, before we get on to the episode with me and Mark, um, since our last episode, which was a while back, there's been, in the music world, in the guitar world, a couple of bad pieces of news, a couple of passings away. Um, Eddie Van Halen passed away, literally about a few hours after we finished recording the last episode of the podcast and uh just well a few days prior to recording this episode of the podcast um alexi lejo from children of bottom sadly passed away so this episode of the audio rambling podcast is very much a tribute to those two musicians and myself and Mark also discuss, go into details and talk about other musicians who've passed away and have affected uh, how it's affected us. Now, um, the passing of Alexi Leo, who's the frontman guitarist of Children of Bottom and Bottom After Midnight, affected me probably the most that ever mu- any uh, musician passing away ever has, um, because Children of Bottom have been one of my favourite bands for m- a long time. So yeah, so we discuss that. So it's an interesting episode um, and we go quite deep into it. And for me personally, it was quite a cathartic experience to be able to chat with my friend about a musician um, who I care about deeply, um, you know, and it's probably one that's affected me the most. Um, So yeah, we, we kind of discuss what like, you know, different musicians passing away and how it affects people and, you know, what happens to the legacy and stuff. And not only that, we don't only just discuss that, we also, um, lots of other good stuff um, that we discuss, including Gibson uh, buying or acquiring uh, Mesa Boogie as well. So we get into that and a whole load of other things and a few other companies acquiring other companies. So... Yeah, sit back with your favourite beverage and uh, enjoy this episode of the um, Audio Rambling Podcast. So, on to the episode. back happy new year everybody and happy new year to you to you mark happy new year vish how are you Hopefully be a bit better than the last one <laughs> that's i think everyone's everyone's hope hoping for that um how was your christmas and your new year um nice quiet um obviously i just sort of stayed at home um and uh yeah no, that was about it um but it was no it's nice it was uh, a good little break um and uh, obviously a bit of time to do a bit of music which was nice how yeah. about yours yeah same um like you quiet um a bit more quieter than usual this christmas uh like for most people because obviously being in some form of lockdown but it was kind of nice being at home um because usually for me and like my wife we, we're usually bouncing around on christmas day between like two two or three different places usually my parents or my brothers and then uh, my in-laws and my sister-in-law's place. Um, so it means we can't really like just spend all the time in one place and just 
totally relax and I can never really do much drinking. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, because I'm, I'm driving between places, which is fine. Um, but this year, because we were kind of like at home and our first ever Christmas, just me and the wife at home, it kind of felt like we were proper adults because we were having to cook a whole Christmas meal ourselves for the first time from start to finish, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it also meant that I could kind of like just have loads of drinks. So I drank a lot of whiskey, which was good. <laughs> and nice. got like got quite tipsy for like, properly like kind of nearly properly kind of a bit drunk uh, on Christmas Day, which is the first time that's probably ever happened. So yeah, that's totally it allowed. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, it was it was it was good. It was it was cool. Um, but yeah, you know, um, it's, it's kind of good to do a podcast. I mean, since we last did the podcast, there's a, a, the last episode, a hell of a lot has gone on. Like kind of bad <laughs> uh, i want to say and i'm not talking about lockdown stuff but the, you know th- there's been quite a lot going on and i think we've got a lot to discuss haven't we with like everything um so yeah um so i think it'll be i think we've got like there's so much kind of to get through um i think we're just gonna like see where this goes really but um yeah um what was it so i think um let's uh, let's just start off yeah, with like i mean with? Well, let's just let's start off on a light hearted note, and then we can like talk about the other stuff. So, so like, I mean, obviously, you, you said you've been working on some music and stuff. What what kind of uh, is there? Like, I know you've sent me a few little synth things as well, which have been kind of cool for me to kind of uh, work on. But is there anything else you've been like? Have you been cracking out the guitar and working on anything? Um, I've been noodling away on the guitar. Um, I feel like there's something brewing there. Um, and yeah, lots of um, playing around with, I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, um, the VCV rack, um, sort of software modular synthesizer, which is a sort of incredible bit of freeware that has sort of loads of um, patches, or not, not patches, loads of modules available for it, um, and has unlimited sort of possibilities when they can be put together. And yeah, one of the things that I've been doing was uh, a track to to work with Vish. We've both sort of wanted to do something with a sort of chip tuny kind of feel for a while. We've used little elements of it here and there, um, but we wanted to sort of have fun with that kind of sound because both of us like enjoy that sound a lot. Yeah, and uh, there's sort of a lot that we could um, do with our own style on top of that, um, and uh, we. So yeah, we sort of talked about um, what we wanted to do, and I tried to sort of make something that we could then sort of jam with using the the synthesizer. So that would be the sort of the basis and the sort of strange constraint that we ended up um, doing was using demixolydian. Um, and I think uh, I'll let you talk about this a little bit, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You kind of just asked me, um, I think we were just having a discussion over WhatsApp and I, we were just discussing about like modes and scales, not like going in depth or anything. But you basically said to me, well, if you want, give me some constraints and I'll kind of make this synth. Uh, I'll, I'll make some a little kind of like bit off, off like chip tune and I'll base it on a certain kind of mode. Um, so I, I just literally plucked it out of the air. I just was like, the first thing that came to my head and I was like okay uh demixolydian then so off you went and you created uh, you created a couple of like short kind of um little bits um which you sent over to me that were in demixolydian which was kind of cool 
Um, and it meant that I had something to kind of like jam with and use like I could use that mode, but also then try and see and use other modes and see what relative notes work, um, you know, and like the relative notes, say, in the major scale and whatnot. So it was it's kind of a really good exercise for me. And like during my um, my bass lessons and stuff uh, with my with my teacher, I was able to kind of like we, he made me basically play through the 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 riffs that you sent me i calling them riffs but the little kind of like synth ditties i don't know <laughs> whatever you want to call them um and uh basically what i did was i tried to play all the different modes over them using like the different tritones and the um if anyone's like not too kind of into their music theory the tritones are kind of like the two notes that kind of give the mode its flavor its specific flavor and each mode has will have the two tritone notes um um, uh, that's that's like that that's what gives gives it the distinct kind of sound each mode and differentiates it so it was kind of cool that was kind of a cool exercise to do for myself um, and it's also cool to have those restraints now um in the past um so before i got my like injury on my wrist um i was kind of working on stuff where i would kind of program in some drums and then work on a track using a certain mode um, and so I would have to kind of like basically come up with a track and, you know, kind of stick with the drums as well with the kick drum. And it was a really, really good exercise. And it's an exercise I'd recommend to anyone if they want to kind of like, um, you know, if they want to expand their way of like working on like tracks and composing tracks and stuff, because by having limitations, it means that you kind of like, you're like, okay, I've, I've, this is what I've got to play with. What could I do? And you maybe start experimenting a bit more um whereas sometimes if you're just like free forming you might just kind of get distracted and noodle here noodle there and it can be a bit disjointed so yeah it was um having that was really cool um i know you've sent me some more stuff so i'm going to be i'm going to be working on it but yeah i, I it's it's i kind of like having those constraints now the more i get into like music theory and i'm really really enjoying music theory at the moment it's kind of a more fascinating to see the way things work relatively to each other in terms of like notes modes scales um you know I, i'm not an i'm definitely not an expert by any means i'm I'm learning all of this stuff i consider myself a newbie still um but it's just really really interesting to see and then being able to everything that's i'm learning in my lessons like trying to use that in composition and like in terms of like us writing a track us writing a chip tune track i, I think it kind of by you asking me like okay give me a mode and something and i was like okay demix elidian um you go off and do that it means that we've kind of almost got a set path to start on with so yeah it was it was like good how did how did you find it in terms of like doing something a bit that way because it's different to the way i mean usually when you and i jam well we can end up noodling for hours right we can like end up noodling for hours before we kind of either hit on an idea sometimes it will happen straight away sometimes it can take ages but like, well, how how did you find it doing it in like this kind of way? Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like, I like like I do sort of theorize, I suppose, about my music. I do sort of think about what I'm doing. Um, not necessarily in, as you say, that initial stage. There is a sort of stage where just sort of trying to not think and letting the the sort of flow of things happen is is kind of how we work. But there is obviously becomes a stage where to, to sort of like work on from there. You you do think about it, but the way that I think about it is not like massively informed by traditional music theory. It's something that I know a little bit of, 
but sort of not in any great sense. And I, I'll be honest, I sort of kind of knew of modes, but wasn't quite sure what made a mode different from a scale. Um, and like, I'm still not entirely sure why if major and minor both get to be scales, why doesn't Mixolydian? Um, they they <laughs> all feel like modes of each other. Uh, but so well, yeah. Technically, so I mean, I, again, we could be wildly wrong here. And when we put this episode out, people could be screaming at us, like you know, if there's like people who are really into their music theory, and maybe even my bass teacher would if he actually if he listened to our podcast. I don't think he does, so I'm I'm fine here. But technically, so you know, and the Ionian the Ionian scale the Ionian mode is the major scale. The Aeolian mode is the minor scale. Um, so um it technically so the way my teach i've always been like oh so why are they modes and why are they scales and he's technically my my teachers always technically said to me a mode is a scale a scale is a mode a mode can be a, a scale for all intents and purposes but what i think you the way you see it is you have your major scale or your um and basically the modes are a subset of that so you know the minor scale is technically a subset of the major scale. It's relative to the major scale. It's the Aeolian mode. Um, and um, yeah, um, I, that's again, look, I'm, I'm not an expert in it and I'm still very much learning about it. Um, and I'm, I don't think I'll ever become an <laughs> expert on it. But yeah, I, it's it, to me, it's kind of been good to see a bit more of the building blocks behind music and behind writing riffs and things because... I've definitely been one of those people who kind of, you know, fumbles around in the dark, come across a cool idea and then try and develop it and a bit more fumbling in the dark. And whereas now I've got a little bit more of the map laid out in my head and in my fingers, it makes it potentially makes things easier for me mm. to get the idea from my head to my hands a bit more quicker, a bit quicker to try and work it out. Now, I'm not saying like, you know, um, it's, it's going to like turn me into like the next great, compose or anything but for me i've got i like to think i've got quite an inquisitive mind so having the kind of uh knowing a bit more about the structure behind music is kind of feeding that kind of uh buzz for me or feeding that kind of thing where i need to know how how or why something works if you if you know what i mean yeah so no, absolutely yeah, yeah. and so yeah, you know so it, was, it was interesting for me because as i say it's it's not a side of it that i'm super into so to sort of like to set myself the challenge so okay obviously i was i did ask you a bit about it because yeah you're um sort of learning a bit more about it at the minute and then sort of yeah did a little bit of research on my own and sort of trying to set out to do something with that modular synth where that was you know the the goal to make sure it, it fit into this this idea um was no it was good fun and i think restraints often do that and might talk a bit more about how i sort of solve that problem once we actually get around to releasing the track but uh, no, it was it was good fun, and I look forward to seeing where that's going to go. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it was, it's kind of it's kind of a good exercise and a good way. And I know, like this year, I want to start working on on an EP as well. And I think I'm going to use a lot of that kind of technique to approach certain ideas and things, um, just because I kind of I kind of like it. Um, but yeah, um, I, I think I think it's cool, and yeah, I definitely think we can do kind of a bit more of a deep dive on it when we when we release it and stuff. And yeah, uh, we both love our chip tune stuff because we kind of grew up with that kind of stuff with like all the video games you and I play. So I think it'll be really really cool to do something like that. So yeah, no, um, that's been quite cool. Uh, 
I mean, for myself, musically, yeah, I've been kind of playing around with your stuff. I finally was have started picking up the bass guitar again after like literally spending 10 weeks of not picking it up so that I can let my wrist kind of recover from my uh, tendinosis, not even tendonitis, tendinosis. So um, that's kind of going in the right direction, but I'm still not at a point where I'm back to where I was. You know, it's like literally um, kind of rebuilding everything from the ground up again. It's kind of been a good... Uh, excuse for me to totally for for me and my bass teacher to totally sit me down and take apart all my bad habits and totally like rebuild me from the ground up again like literally like in terms of how I'm holding the bass my finger position on the fret and everything just to make sure I don't get into the same problems that I got into last time so yeah that's kind of been where my concentration has been you know um but yeah, um, okay. can you hear me? So I think I think that's kind of mainly what I've I've been doing. Can you hear? So me? yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can hear you fine. Younger than some of um, some of my other mates as well. It's just scary. Um, from what has been said, he had some ongoing health complications um, that he'd been dealing with. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I so from what it sounds like, even though the news came through on Monday. Um, I think he passed away towards the back end of 2020, um, like, you know, right towards the very end. And I, the news just absolutely floored me, man. Um, so I just kind of want to go, like, I don't know, I thought this would be, this is going to be quite a cathartic exercise, I think, I think for myself personally, but also I think it'd just be good to talk about, like, you know, musicians or like singers, mm. songwriters, whoever, you know, that we kind of have like, or that we've kind of, you know, that have we've seen that have like kind of passed away over the last few years that has that have like hit, hit hard or like, you know, ones that have like kind of, we've been like, holy shit, you know, um, kind of thing. Cause I, but I guess, I mean, you probably notice this as well as you and I get older now, like, you know, we're, we're in our like mid thirties now, all those musicians who seem to be ever present in our lives as we were growing up, like seem to be passing away some due to old age some due to health complications and stuff and it yeah uh, the news of alexi just like really really did it i don't think uh the any other musician so far in my life who's who i've heard of passing away has hit me as hard as he did because children of bottom are i mean you know yourself man uh, i mean they're oh, one of my I know. Yeah, yeah, they're they're one of my most favorite bands. You know, um, I'd say them alongside Silosis and Lamb of God are probably three bands that like, you know, it doesn't matter what they release, I will always go ahead and like listen to the album, check it out, and whatever. And I've been fortunate enough to see Children of Bottom uh, like twice in my life. Like, once was when when you and I went to a gig in 2015. Uh, the other time was like literally I managed to get some tickets last minute to see them headline in 2017, and this was a very last minute thing. And both times they were amazing. Alexi was you know on absolute form and fire. But I literally I I think when when the news I I, I was literally sat at my desk here at home. I was kind of. Uh, doing my work, checking my emails, because th the news came through on Monday morning. So it was literally like the, the first day back after the Christmas holidays, you're kind of checking your emails and you've got that, you know, you've got that feeling of, oh God, it's January. January is a shit, shit enough month as it is. I hate January, yeah. you know, most of the time. And obviously while I'm checking my emails, I was also like, oh, I'll just check Twitter and stuff as, as, as I usually do. And all of a sudden I see this thing come up from, um, I can't remember. It was one of the music Twitter accounts that I follow saying that 
Alexi Lejos passed away. I literally, I saw the tweet and I did, I mean, I think they'd literally just tweeted it and I saw it like literally as it came up, you know, and it, I was just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't actually comprehend it. I was like, no, 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 this has got to be fake. And I went straight onto Google and started looking and sure enough. And I was just, yeah, I, I, I also think, I don't think I've ever come across a musician's death uh, being announced that quickly as I did his as well. You know, usually it's been an hour, two hours, three hours, and then I've come across it. But this was literally like the minute it was announced, I just happened to be online on a Monday morning doing my work. And I'll be honest, it threw me off for the rest of the day. It absolutely threw me off. It threw me off for most of this week. Um, you know, so I just think it'd be good to kind of like discuss, you know, like musicians who like pass away, you know, where it's impacted us most, like what we kind of, you know, because I just think it's, you know, it's something, unfortunately, we see, you know, and it's always difficult when you see your, like, heroes and your idols passing away. And in the last few years, there have been quite a few big musicians who've passed away. You know, uh, David Bowie, I remember, was a massive deal when he passed away, and it was a massive shock to everyone. Prince, a few mm. years ago now. Yeah, so, but both you know, 2016. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, like, a brutal year for, for musicians, um, I remember, I think Lemmy passed away as well. I can't remember if it was 2015 or 2016. He was but, the, the tail end of 2015. He was the the harbinger of the awfulness. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And yeah, I just, it was just, uh, I mean, I was thinking about it like literally the other yesterday or whatever. I was just like, 2020 just decided to give me one more one more punch before it left like just wanted to drag me down i i, I almost thought of it like <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna find this probably a bit funny is you know that scene in lord of the rings yeah and bear with yeah. me um where where they're literally gandalf's going up against the massive balrog and yeah. um he thinks he's defeated it and just as he turns away the balrog decides to wrap grab its whip and wrap his legs around and take mm -hmm. him down with him that's exactly what 2020 did to me just like when I thought it's, I mean, just turned I'm, your back on it, yeah. You know, I, I, the shitness that is 2020 is is kind of okay over. You know, hopefully 2021 starts off good, and then all of a sudden, like, no, just there's something that happened in 2020 that got announced in 2021, and it was like, it floored me, man. It absolutely, uh, it absolutely floored me like no other musician has, um, and this is how much it floored me because. Uh, just to give you just to give people a bit of context here um i'm i'm like a massive football fan i support liverpool you know and people are going to think where the, where am i going with this but liverpool were playing later on that night on monday um and i usually watch all their matches so i sat down and watched the match team didn't play well they lost 1-0 normally when liverpool lose i get really pissed off with the team and i'm like usually like you know it kind of like really like annoys my annoys me and ruins like not ruins my day but kind of like you know i get emotional about it but i had so much other stuff on my mind that when we lost i just switched i just turned the tv channel to something else i was just like i don't even care i just don't really care i just i can't really get i just can't give a shit about this which i mean You've seen me when Liverpool have lost. I mean, you can tell people you, what's usually my reaction. You know, I'm oh, usually kind no, of like you're inconsolable. Um, it is. I've I I often find it hilarious to rub it in. You just cannot take it to any level of proportionality. So to yeah, 
Um, yeah. That. So so for it to, that's how much this had hit me. That I was just like. I was genuinely like, I do not care about the football. I don't care that my team lost. I don't care that 22 men were there kicking a ball on a field. I, I was just like, I was like, no, like this other thing has just literally like, you know, messed with my head royally. And part of it is, be you know, part of it is because he is, Alexi Leo is only 41. He's young. He had so much more to say musically, um, you know, and it's, it is one of my, all-time favorite bands you know and he's the heart and soul i know children of bottom didn't exist anymore um because basically the band broke up uh at the end of 2019 um and basically um alexi didn't have the rights to the name of children of bottom he'd sold it to the other three band members so he basically formed a new band called bottom after midnight um and they were funny enough they were working on a new ep and working on uh, they'd shot a video for a new song as well. So everyone was looking forward to hearing what that was going to be because it was with a brand new set of musicians. We knew it was still going to have the Children of Bottom vibe, you know, and still have that kind of feel to it. But everyone was kind of quite looking forward to it. And from what Alexi had said throughout the year, he was in a really, really good place. Um, he had been battling like alcohol, alcoholism and stuff in, in the past, you know, and trying to get himself sorted. But it seems like in the last year, he was in a good place. Uh, I didn't follow him too much personally. You know, I just more like when the music comes out and the band put out an album, I'll be there straight away to listen to it or I'll try and go and see them live. But yeah, the news just, man, it just absolutely, I was just kind of like, I didn't even know what to think. I was just like going on Twitter and Instagram and seeing what people were saying and just trying to like get a feel off like what, you know. And the thing that kind of, um, I guess... It didn't shock me, but it, the thing that was kind of awesome to see was how many musicians out there were paying tribute to him. Because, look, Children of Bottom are not, they're not uh, kind of, uh, if you're into metal music, chances are you've heard of them. But if they're not like a huge, huge, massive band, are they? They're not like, you know. No, uh, I, they I only know the, of them because you do. Um, and I, I I really like them. They're a, um, a metal band. So if they're, they're ones who sort of like go full in on the sort of heaviness and the darkness and the grrr of everything, but do it with such a sort of vivacious joy to every note that is being played that it's just sort of like infectious. Um, so yeah, no, I'm not surprised that there are lots of other musicians and also like incredibly technically skilled. Um, some mad stuff going on in some of those solos yeah and this and this is the thing is like um he's you know back in the early 2000s when children bottom were really at the top of their game early to mid like 2000s or the noughties you know um he was on the cover of most guitar magazines most of the time and he's got his own like esp signature guitars um i mean children bottom while they're not you know they're not like big here in 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 the UK, unless you kind of follow that music. In Finland, their last I think their last four albums have all gone straight to number one in like the in their pot in their like mainstream music charts. I'm not talking about like the rock chart or the metal chart. I'm just talking about like the equivalent of the top forty here. That's mad when you think about it. You know, like mm. if imagine a band like the equivalent of Children of Bottom over here and their four of their albums going straight to number one you know it's it's crazy how big they 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 are in like or they they you know they were in finland 
um, and Japan as well. And I mean, you know, over the years they've had the loyal following, and the amount of the amount of musicians and people who were coming out and saying like, look. You know, Children on Bottom were like the band to get me into metal music, or they were the they were the band that made me pick up the guitar. You know, I'd spend ages trying to learn the solos and stuff. Uh, yeah, it was just. Um, I mean, for me, the 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 whole reason I love Children on Bottom is because there's something about the. I love the technicality of it. I also just love the ballsiness of the music. It's just straight in your face. It it has a visceral kind of feel to it. You know, it has kind of a very intense visceral feel, but also mm, yeah. it doesn't take, it doesn't take itself too seriously as well. You know, um, the band would always do the ridiculous and were able to have a laugh at themselves and not take themselves quite seriously. And they, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, you know, they were able to have a laugh at, I always felt like they were able to have a laugh at their expense and they had fun doing what they were doing. Um, I mean, if if I could ever do like, you know, I've done vocals in a metal band before, but if there's one person that I would ever want to do vocals like, it would have been Alexi Leho because I absolutely love his vocals. I know they're not everyone else's cup of tea, but just that he got so much attitude and balls behind his vocals and his playing, man, as a guitarist. I just, I love his riffs um, and just um, his compositions of, of songs. So yeah, that was just like, it just, it messed with me so much. You know, I think it's taken me about three or four days to kind of properly kind of um kind of uh com kind of compute in my head and kind of like mm. kind of come to terms with the news you know and that's never happened for me with with a with another musician before uh, i felt like quite down afterwards but not to this extent this this for some reason this was the first time where it felt like I'd almost lost a family member, even though I don't know him personally, you know, never, never have met the guy or anything, but I think it's just because it's one of my most favorite bands of all time kind of thing, you know, when it's, when it's someone like that. And yeah, the amount of, the amount of other like musicians and other guitarists from other big metal bands that came out and said like, you know, these guys had a massive influence on us or like Alexi was a massive, brilliant guitarist and, you know, an innovator as well. And some of the things he did are just, you know, only like, and, the and he had a distinct sound as well, um, you know, which kind of, I think kind of always gives you, if when you have, when you are able to create a distinct sound for yourself, that's something quite special. Like people recognize it to you. So yeah, that it was, that was crazy. Um, and then obviously, earlier like i mentioned you know eddie van halen like he passed away as well and i mean i'm not a massive like van halen fan i know uh you know it, as in in terms of i didn't listen to the band a lot growing up because i didn't have people around me to really show but the older i got i realized how much van halen was an influence on musicians i loved and since his passing and this is something maybe we can get into I also learned a lot more. I knew he was an innovator in terms of modding his guitars and stuff because of his Frankenstrat. But yeah. I just didn't know how much of an influence he had on other people to go ahead and buy guitars and start modding them and doing things to amps until or after his passing and people get, like giving stories of, oh, I bought a guitar and did this or I bought an amp and did this. It's crazy like how much of an innovator he was, not only in terms of his playing and like the finger tapping and everything, but how much in terms of like modding gear and like, you know, upgrading your guitar and doing things to it. I mean, I don't know. Did you, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, as, as with you, it's another one that wasn't, um, one of my personal heroes. Um, 
but I think it's kind of just like one of those things as well. When whenever you've got um, sort of guitarists as a community, are a, it, that covers like a broad range of of people, um, and obviously there's lots of different styles of guitar and lots of different heroes for lots of different people. But there are there are some people who sort of wherever you are in the guitar sort of sphere are sort of like recognizable landmarks of the guitar community the sort of you know celebrities within that culture and he was just one of those guys that yeah of of course he's he's one of that pantheon he of course he's you know in every guitar magazine they've got a a dozen (laughs) sort of guitars trying to to base off his and then a hundred other people are sort of taking his inspiration to make their own yeah no it's um it's a, obviously a, a sort of a big passing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, with Eddie Van Halen as well, is he's got one of the most iconic guitars of all time. Like you know, when you his his Frankenstrat that red with the checked with the white, you know, everywhere. That is like it's a really iconic thing when you see it. You know whose guitar it is immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I kind of love the fact that he was, he kind of got so many people, he inspired people to play, but he also inspired people to go ahead and like do things to, to the, to what they've got. Like, you know, oh, okay, you've got a guitar here. You don't like the sound of it. Take the pickup out of it and put something else in. See what else happens. You don't like the amp and what it's doing. Okay, fine. Like he, he would like kind of sag the voltage on, on his amps and everything. And he was... I think he was also just a massive innovator in terms of how a lot of people nowadays kind of approach the instrument in terms of like not only playing it, obviously, because, you know, uh, I think he influenced so many of our guitar heroes and like so many of our peers, but also just in terms of guitar technology and stuff, you know, um, and what would go on in, in a guitar. Like a lot of companies would come to him and be like, you know, the fact that there's the EVH line, the 5150 amp is what, like one of the most iconic metal amps or one of the most iconic amps out there, you know, um, any studio, a lot of studios will have the 5150, which is based on his sound. So it's kind of, it kind of just shows. And it was like, again, uh, it's it's got to be one of the most successful sort of signature amps, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I would, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. Most definitely. Like, his his Frankenstrat and then yeah and the fact that there's a whole guitar line called EVH you know and there's the EVH amps and everything I, I, there's no other I mean you know Steve Vai's got his signature Ibanez um, obviously and like the likes of Joe Satriani have and like okay now nowadays you've got the likes of Tosin Abassi's got his Labada line and stuff but like EVH was the first uh, first one to do it to have the EVH line and all of that kind of stuff you know. And and from like all the stories I've seen and heard is like he was really really into it. He would he would really like you know find ways of how he could make his sound unique and what he could do to kind of like change you know. Um, and he was he could be quite secretive about it as well. You know he could be quite guarded about it. He wouldn't necessarily give away all his secrets to his tone. Again, he had a very very iconic tone. You know you hear that finger tapping and everything, you immediately know like who it is. And nowadays all the finger tapping and stuff you hear, you know I, I'm sure people like I I've I've not looked deeply into it, but I'm pretty sure one of Alexi Lejo's um, 
heroes would have probably been um, Eddie Van Halen. You know, oh, the, the kind certainly. of yeah, kind of the music of Children of Bottom with the synths, with the with the like fast running riffs, with the tapping all over the place. Yeah, most you can you can tell like there's there's a connection there. So yeah, th- that was like really really shocking news as well. I know. Um, I guess. I mean, I know Van Halen was, I think he was about 65 and he'd been suffering from ill health for a while. Um, you know, um, I mean, he's, he's got a, when you, if you don't follow Van Halen or it's, it's hard to looking back now, how big they were in the late seventies and the early eighties, they were huge, man. They were like absolutely insanely massive. And yeah, you know, um, I guess like, I guess that's the one thing with both these musicians, their their body of work will kind of like kind of make sure that their legacy kind of kind of kind of lives on. I I guess with with Van with Eddie, yeah, fine. He not fine, but you know he was sixty five and he was suffering from ill health. He's still too young, you know. It's still it's still young, but I guess you know it, it's not a bit easier to process. But you kind of a bit more like he kind of you know had his he he was able to create music for a lot longer with alexi leho with him being 41 you still you'll you'll always be left wondering what would he have created in his 40s and his 50s and maybe yeah. his 60s i guess the good thing is and we're lucky is that children of bottom were a very prolific band they had over they had over eight or nine studio albums and a couple of live albums and i hope that you know bottom after midnight released this ep um you know eventually whenever they want to and they released the video as a kind of lasting tribute to alexi um so i guess in the years that he was alive he was a very very prolific musician so it's not one of those people who kind of released like you know maybe one or two albums and you're always left wondering well what would have happened i mean we're always going to wonder what he would have done next but it's maybe a little bit more like there's a lot of his music that we can enjoy i mean i still haven't really sat down and listened to my children at bottom at the moment because the way my brain works is I'll be listening to it and I'll probably feel quite down and be like, man, you know, just like, I'm in my mind just being like, oh, you know, he's no longer here. It's going to hit, it's going to hit me. I mean, also like when you're listening to some of the lyrics as well, and you're just like, man, this, I think sometimes when you listen to a band or a frontman's lyrics and they're gone, they feel almost a bit prophetic and it, they kind of take on an eerie feel to them, you know? I know that happened a lot with like not not all bands, but I know that happened especially with Kurt Cobain's lyrics when he passed away. Um, but like with someone like Alexi as well, you know, because a lot of the lyrics and the themes are quite dark and stuff. You kind of like sitting there going, "Oh man!" Like you know, it's just I guess it just hits home a bit more. So yeah, but I mean, like I said, there's been like what there's been quite a few musicians in the last few years, man. Like when have passed away that is like to varying degrees it's kind of been to me that it's it's hit me it's hit me prince hit me quite hard because i was um you know i think i didn't expect it to hit me that hard but it did um bowie did hit me a bit but not as much as prince did um uh and funny enough i do remember i still remember where I, i was literally i was getting in the car to go to work um, and it was pissing down and all I, I turned the radio on and all of a sudden like there's just nothing but Bowie tribute and I was like what's going on and like you know oh Bowie's passed away mm. which was a massive yeah, shock yeah no, that was like everyone like, wasn't it for a few days yeah yeah but like are there any in the last few years for you that you've kind of been like have really hit you like you know being like holy shit you know I just 
like really really hit you or uh, you know you, you, i guess i mean it's a difficult one to discuss isn't it yeah no i mean i, f- I feel like i'm uh, forgetting somebody major over the last couple of years which is annoying um i think most of the ones that i've had have been uh, musicians coming from that sort of slightly previous generation where they're or sort of a bit older and you know still gone too soon and all that yeah but it's it's slightly different from somebody who is you know only a few years older than you it feels like quite a different kind of loss you know yeah um, yeah yeah I, t- I totally get what you mean like it's like some of the musicians who passed away who were around in the 60s and like the 70s and stuff you know um i guess because they were so much older than like us when we were born or when we were getting into their music you know it doesn't impact you as much um maybe and also i mean there've been loads of musicians who've kind of like passed away when i was like a teenager growing up but i was i hadn't totally sure, cottoned yeah, yeah. onto it until after the fact but I think now, when you, as you, I think it's just also a thing of as you get older and you're a bit more aware of things and stuff, and you're kind of like, mm, you know, and then you then occasionally there's like musicians who are like, like only maybe about ten or fifteen years older than you, and in this case, you know, it's a musician who's only six years older than me. I mean, forty-one to me seems miles away, but if I just look at it objectively, it's only six years away. I've got friends who are in their early forties now. I've got friends who are older than him you know and i guess that's when it starts hitting you a bit more because you're like man these people are like my age and i've got so much more i want to get out of life and i'm sure they wanted to get so much more out of life and now they're no longer here kind mm. of thing you know um, yeah you just expect some people to be around for longer don't you that's... i th- i think that's the thing is with with music and i think with musicians as well especially some of the, i i think a lot of like musicians like the likes of like david bowie and the likes of um Prince and even the likes of um, Lemmy, they've been around in the music business for so long. They just felt ever present, you know. They sometimes as some of them were more prolific than others in terms of releasing music and stuff. But they were always they, they've been around for like three, like you know, three four decades. Like they've you know been around from people's like teenagers or early childhood into adulthood into like late adulthood and stuff so you kind of just you kind of take it for granted that they're always just going to be there and then when they go you're just like you know i mean what actually one i haven't mentioned i totally forgot and it, it was actually yesterday it was a year since he passed away so you know 2020 last year started off a bit shit was uh neil pert the drummer off rush nice you know? Yeah, and when he passed away, it was like the amount of musicians who all came out because he's regarded right up there in terms of like you know some of the drummer all pretty much all drummers I listen to in bands and stuff. Ask them who their you know influences are. Neil Peart off uh, Rush, 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 Rush. He's considered like one of the all time, if not the all time top drummer man. And like when he passed away, you know, um, again in his early sixties. And Rush, the thing is, like, Rush have been around for so long. They've been around since the 60s. They've released albums in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and I think, even, like, you know, even the early noughties. I mean, Rush as a band only retired, like, literally a couple of years ago, and I think people were still hoping they'd always still come back and maybe do one or two gigs here and there. Unfortunately, that's never going to happen now. But, yeah, you know, I mean, 
it's just crazy it's just crazy to think you know and uh i think it just um i know that hit hit a lot of people quite hard and i think it, it just shocks you when the musician who's been around for ages is no longer there i think people kind of are like well there's a massive void there now you know because as long as they're alive there's always the hope that they're going to keep releasing some more music you know they'll always in some capacity keep working on music and stuff and they'll be there um i mean i i don't know uh for you i how long ago was it when lou reed passed away i mean i know he was in he was that, in his 80s yeah. but for you that yeah no so exactly so, um so in the the two that hit me sort of biggest as sort of like yeah those sort of formative guys um going would be lou reed and bert janch uh and yeah lou reed was 2013 now um and yeah. And when was Bert? He was. Was Bert Janch afterwards? I want to say he was uh, 2011. Be... No, he, he was before. Okay. Um, I can't remember if it was a year or two years before. Yeah, about a couple of years before. It wasn't. It wasn't too long after we saw him live as well, was it? Well, maybe it was. I can't remember now. Um, yeah. No. It was. It was. It was one of his last gigs that we we saw. Yeah. Yeah. So, which I'm kind of incre- incredibly grateful that I managed to see. You see him you know even though i know i'm probably i I, you know way more about his music but still to see someone like that and someone who's influenced so many other guitarists as well um but yeah you know i mean i guess for you there that that so yeah with with both of those those were both um sort of formative influences on me and also musicians who i i still cared about you know neither of them were had sort of run out of good music and, and especially in the case of sort of lou reed you never knew what he was going to come up with next. His last few projects were a sort of um, a live mu- noise project, um, uh, an album of meditation music, a collaboration with Metallica, and, <laughs> and um, dance music for dogs or something. Um, Amazing. You know, you, you could never tell quite what he was going to come up with next. And for somebody at his age to be doing that was phenomenal. But, but still, he was not a young man he was somebody who you know musically felt like a parent or grandparent to me in terms of their influences whereas you get somebody like alexi lehu who's uh, leho sorry um you get somebody like that who's more of a sort of like you know musical cousin rather than and it's just yeah it's a different kind of loss isn't it yeah yeah exactly you're right it is it is a different kind of loss and i think in a way um that was also the case for me for like yeah lemmy was a bit more like he was you know many years older i thought you know he still had a lot going for him he wasn't as old as lou reed but it was a little bit it was a bit different as well you know um i mean I, i i was alive when the likes of when Kurt Cobain passed away, but obviously I was way too young to even comprehend it. I was, I was about nine. Uh, yeah. I, w- I would have been eight going on nine when, um, when Kurt Cobain, um, you know, passed away. Um, and I, there was no way I would have known about it because my parents did not listen to that music. I didn't have, I wasn't watching the news at the time. I would, I just didn't even, I've, you know, um, even though I was alive, I didn't even know that there was a musician out there called Kurt Cobain or there was a band called Nirvana. But I imagine, I mean, how devastating it must have been for all the people when he passed away in like 1994, you know, in the prime of his life. And he joined the dreaded 
27 club as well. Um, you know, and I mean, okay, Nirvana re released about like two, three. I mean, that's the thing. It's it kind of when a musician passes away, like you know, especially like Kurt, it's like kind of you almost you get ascended into the legendary status because of he. I mean, you know, he lived his life at a hundred miles an hour and kind of you know just gone way too soon and had so many issues and stuff i guess with someone like alexi it was i mean th the main thing was it was a massive shock there was no intimation that he was kind of in hospital or anything or things were going south and i think it's the shock for me more than anything it wasn't like i had known that oh yeah my, one of my favorite musicians is in hospital kind of fighting for his life or he's he's been in ill health i just knew that oh yeah he'd formed a kind of a new band a spin-off from children of bottom they were working on an ep and a video and stuff and i was like cool so at some point when it gets released i will check it out definitely and i will like it never thought that the you know the 2019 album hexed was going to be the last like full-on release from him you know i think that that was it was it was the shock mainly as well it was just a massive shock of it all as well and just first time for me like losing a musician who I seriously, seriously, from a band I seriously, seriously loved. And because also he's the heart and soul of that band, I know that band is never going to be... Children of Bottom and Bottom After Midnight will never be a thing again. He was both those bands. He is Children of Bottom. He was the main force behind it. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 crazy. And I know um, people in the metal world also talk about, like, how gutted they were and how devastated they were when... Um, the original Metallica bassist passed away, Cliff Burton, in 1986, I want to say. You know, and I mean, he died, unfortunately, in a, in a crash when their, when their van or when their bus overturned in, in Scandinavia while they were on tour, um, you know. And I, I think it's also that thing of, like, people are like, oh, man, if this could have been avoided, what would the band be like today? What would happen today? And that will happen with, like, the likes of Children of Bottom and, you know, yeah and as i mentioned he's like he's a guitarist that so many people respect and so many people have said he influences so it's it's kind of been crazy you know i mean 2020 has been like a bit shit <laughs> to say the least but just that news man it was just it just felt like so kind of sickening and stuff and i guess you also start thinking of like oh shit who's going to be up next unfortunately because again it's just like you're you get older and stuff and you're like Oh man, some of my favorite musicians at some point are going to start passing away because they're about like, you know, 20, 30 years older than me and they're getting on now. They're getting on like really on, you know, kind of thing. You try not to think like that, obviously, and it's always a shock when news comes. But I think, I mean, the the only person I envisage living on forever is um, Keith. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, he'll be, hell would have frozen over, you know, <laughs> planet Earth will be coming to an end and Keith will still be there with his cigarette and his bottle of whiskey going, you know. He's managed to just, he manages to survive and outlive. I don't know, whatever he has just going on in eating his Eating Twinkies with the cockroaches. <laughs> exactly, exactly that. I, I don't know, whatever he has going on in his body, they should get some of that and keep that in a vial, you know, because seriously, the man has... I, I don't know how he does it, but he's outlasted so many of his peers so many times over, you know. Um I think I think if if he ever passes away the world will truly come to an end, you know. Because I mean seriously, but yeah, I I just I so for me it was just kind of like when the news happened and everything, I know I reached out to you and I, and we were chatting. I mean, I I know how much 
your response on Twitter was kind of was kind of like even you were like your response to my tweet was like shit when I when I tweeted because literally the, my first tweet was like what the fuck I just can't comprehend this and I couldn't I was just like what the hell's going on and um, if, even for my wife like she 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 understood a bit why how I was feeling but I think the only person out of all my friends and um, I'm not even going to really include my family because my my you know my family know what music I like, but they're not they don't pay any interest and that's fine. But the only person who knows how much I like this band is you, really. I mean, I got you into this band by literally it was on in my car all the time after uni. It was the only all band the that was all the time. Like you know, I remember I got into Children of Bottom around like 2006, 2007. Um, because my mate gave me a load of music and children of bottom on there. And I started just listening to them. And I was like, this is so different to anything else. And it's nothing like anything else that I listened to, to some of the other bands. But for some reason, I just really love how balls to the walls it is and how out there it is and how in your face it is. Yeah, and yeah, so I remember, fun. yeah. And I remember like, I kind of wore you down with it. I know I did because I, it was on all the time. I think you just became familiar with it, but I think you appreciated the fact it wasn't, they didn't take themselves overly seriously. It was ridiculous. It was a bit zany as well. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, like I think the only other person I know who would have understood how much it means to me is you, because even my other friends, while they'll be like, you know, um, Oh yeah. They know how much I like, children are bottom i don't think they understand to what extent and how much that band kind of does actually mean to me you know mm. yeah i don't write music like children are bottom and i don't pretend to but they're one of those bands who just like have had an influence on me and i just genuinely just enjoy listening to them when i want to listen to some music that's a bit in your face and you know doesn't give a fuck kind of thing that's the band i always go to so yeah, I, I was like, the only person who's going to be able to kind of like connect with me on this and like understand. I mean, you know, my wife did. She kind of, she kind of did get it. But I think you were able to understand in terms of from a musician's point of view, from a person kind of you've, you've gone through, like, you know, we went and saw them play back in 2015 together. We've spent so many hours listening to them as well and whatnot. So, yeah, you know, I was kind of like, I know when I reached out to you about the podcast, I was like, let's talk about this because it will be quite cathartic. Yeah. No, like it was one of the bands that you were listening to a lot um, during a period when we were spending a lot of time just hanging around and bumming around in your car. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was just the soundtrack for... A, a I think it was the soundtrack of our, of our early... Uh, of, of like our first few years post-university. So there's like early to mid-20s yeah. kind of thing. There was... There was a while where, yeah, like, Children of Bottom was just... All their albums, for me, were on heavy rotation. And, yeah, I don't listen to them all the time now. But, yeah, any time... Uh, there are times when I get the itch and I'm just like, oof, I need some of those... I need some of those searing riffs and all that ridiculous synth work and that neoclassical kind of, you know, craziness going on. Give me some of that. All right, um, yeah. So what should we cover next? I mean, let's take it in uh, from a non from well uh, you know from a thing about talking about musicians to talking about corporate acquisitions and <laughs> yeah. you know uh buying buying out businesses and whatnot because i mean it feels like it feels like there's been a couple of these going on and they've happened in quick su succession 
Um, and also, the reaction on the internet's been kind of very, very fun. Kind of almost like grab your popcorn and sit back and watch the fume happen. Um, and that's, of course, because there's been a big acquisition in the world of music. Um, <laughs> <That> big, yeah. <laughs> pretty big, yeah. And pretty shocking as well. It kind of came out of nowhere. Um, uh, Gibson, the wonderful Gibson, have acquired one of the what world's leading amp manufacturers, uh, Mesa Boogie, which is huge because uh, Mesa are like one of the most highly regarded oh, huge, yeah. uh, uh, amp manufacturers out there. You know, they really are like, they, they've they got legions of fans, you know, and their artist uh, roster is a who's who. Sorry, excuse me. And um, the fact they've been acquired by Gibson has set a lot of people like kind of very worried because of Gibson's rep over the last few years. Um, and it's been interesting to watch over the last two or three days, like people's reaction to it. Um, I've also talked to a few people at work because obviously we work in this industry and their reactions have been interesting. Uh, I've talked to a friend who actually is a huge Mesa fan, uh, our, our mate Eric, who we're hoping to get onto this podcast at some point. Mm. Um, he's a massive Mesa fan. He's got he's owned a few Mesas in his lifetime, and he's got a. I want to say he's got a dual rec, but I could be wrong. But he's he's you know, and there were the initial general consensus was, what the fuck, and all shit. That means all pre Gibson era Mesa boogie amps are going to go up in price. And the other reaction was like, well, I'm never selling my Mesa Boogie amp ever again because, you know, I could sell it for a profit, but I'm not, the quality is, rest assuredly, it's going to go down. A lot of people making a lot of assumptions, right? Um, first of all, like, what was what was your thought on it when you first heard it? It was a bit out of the blue, wasn't it? They kept Yeah, it no, I mean, it, it, was, it was a big shock. And I think, again, like, I want to, like, just sort of step back and, and give the context that, that like, in terms of your sort of iconic guitar brands, the sort of by far the two biggest are Fender and Gibson. Um, yeah. And, you know, most sort of more modern brands are either doing their own twists on what, on the Fender and Gibson thing or doing something in sort of in response um, to that. And in terms of, of amplifiers, um, the the sort of, two classic iconic ones that that sort of fit the the sort of classic role occupied by sort of Fender and Gibson a sort of um, Marshall and again Fender with sort of Vox being kind of the the sort of smaller third one there and then later on sort of Mesa Boogie came in as almost like the fourth iconic guitar amp sound and that if you um, sort of pick a random amplifier, it's by sort of you know some random brand. Chances are it's it's either their take on a um, it's either their take on a sort of clean Fender sound, uh, a sort of classic rocking Marshall sound. Maybe if you're lucky, you might get the chimey Vox sound, or it's going to be your sort of roaring distorted Mesa Boogie sound. And to sort of have um, two companies that 
sit in such iconic guitar- corners of the guitar world um, coming together. I mean, I, I totally get where it is um, from a business sense. I know that Gibson in sort of recent years um, have not necessarily sort of given the best um, sort of, you know, encouragement in terms of of their sort of uh, quality. And I know there's been some issues with, you know, features that nobody wanted and, and, you know, various problems plaguing Gibson over the years. But do I think that Randall Smith is would stand for the standards behind Mesabugi going downhill? I don't think he would. I've got to... So, yeah, I kind of agree with you. And a lot of people's initial reaction was... So, a couple of people I talked to at work, one guy's reaction was like... How the hell did Gibson find the money? Did they did they find a uh, fifty nine Les Paul somewhere, sell it off, and then acquire <laughs> Mesa? I just couldn't stop laughing when he said that to me. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, because obviously um, they'd filed for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy a few years ago, but that's a that's not bankruptcy in the sense how we do it over here, and we did a whole episode on it. I remember the uh, one of the other guys um, I talked to. He was like, well, that's disappointing. Um, and was genuinely like, mm, I, you know, I don't think, you know, I'm definitely keeping a hold of my Mesa, my Mesa head now. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what will happen with it. Uh, and was a little bit concerned. Our friend Eric, um, he was also, he was like, well, I'm definitely never selling my amp again. And, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a hardcore, like he's always sworn by Mesa Boogie. Um, he's as long as I've known him. And he was also like, he was like, Look, the thing that makes Mesa Mesa is the fact that all the amps are handmade in the US and that's why you pay a premium for them. That's why they are quite expensive and that's why they cost even more uh in Europe as well because they're they're all handmade at their factory in in California. Uh I'm pretty sure it's California. Um and you know, um they've only just recently got a European distribution center, I think in Germany which means that hopefully the prices will come down in Europe. But that's why they are so expensive and so sought after because everything is handmade. It's not machine made. I think a lot of people were worried that if Gibson get their hands on it, because Gibson have bought other brands out in the past and either kind of devalued the brand or not done anything positive with the brand. And I think a few examples have been the Steinberger guitars, they kind of did, they kind of ruined that brand or they kind of, the brand kind of just fell apart. And uh, KRK was another, it was another one that they didn't do anything positive with. And uh, some people have also said, I think Gibson, and I could be wrong, uh, had uh, acquired Orange in the 90s. And from what it sounds like, there weren't, there, there weren't too many positive things to come out of that. A lot of people are also saying like, this is going to be like, you know, um, Pre Gibson gear, uh, pre uh, pre Gibson era Mesa Boogie gear is going to be like pre CBS Fenders. Like pre CBS Fenders are very very rare nowadays. But basically, CBS acquired the brand in I, I want to say the late sixties or something, and they didn't do anything good. Now, to your point about Randall Smith, I totally agree with you. He's 
a lot of people have said one of the reasons he sold up is because he's he's old he's be he's he's getting on now he's been in the game for a long time and he can't just keep going on like this and keeping a hold of the company and for him probably he's like well i want to kind of put my give my company the best possible chance to keep creating amp, amps and everything in an even more competitive market nowadays you know uh, mesa are surrounded by competitors like the likes of rev uh soldano all these other amp manufacturers who are churning out a lot more kind of new amps a lot quicker than mesa de, mesa do and it's a lot more of a crowded marketplace um and guitar guitar players are sport for choice so he probably wants to give his company the best opportunity to continue creating amps. I think when a company, uh, well, let me come back to uh, let me, one thing I'll say before I get to my actual point is the Gibson of three, from what I'm hearing and from what I've heard is the Gibson of like two, three, four years ago is not, it's not the same Gibson anymore. They've changed the management up at the top. Um, it's now owned by a few different companies and they've kind of you know it's not the company that's going in and interfering with the other companies so they're what they're going to do with mesa it it's not because it's not the same management team at the top you're not you shouldn't necessarily have the same concerns because the management team are not going to go into mesa and start saying well you need to do like this we need you to create this amp we need you to do that thing so I think I think people need to give this new management team a chance. I know there were a lot of jokes going around about uh, Mesa are now going to be talking about playing authentic after the whole Agnesi video a few few years ago, if you remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there were a lot of play authentic. <laughs> there are a lot of play authentic jokes going around as well. A lot of people were also like, well, that means, you know, Gibson are now going to like start creating, just going to like uh, palm off Mesa to some manufacturer, some factory in China or, you know, out in Asia. And we're just going to not get, we're going to get like cheap, cheaper knockoffs. I think, however, when a company like Gibson acquires a company like Mesa, you just let Mesa get on with it. You let them do whatever they're doing it works you know they're a successful amp company what this allows what this uh acquisition allows uh mesa to do is they sh they will have more money they will have gibson's money to potentially do more research and design hire more staff and expand so that they can create more amp amplifiers it might mean that we might get some potentially some more cheaper affordable amp ranges as well for mesa maybe maybe i'm not saying that that will happen but it might mean that they they can maybe create some of those as well and uh, try and open up to a different market as well um you know try and uh, but the main thing i think is they'll have resources to go away and do a lot more research and design on different kind of amps and things and to be able to create more new lines of amps the other thing so i was watching a video by uh, fluff beards and riff um, fame and um, he was while a lot of people out there have been like this is only bad news for mesa uh, and he's he's a he's on the mesa roster himself he says that he thinks it's a, it's 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 a good thing and I, I, at first i was kind of like oh this could be bad news for mesa but after watching his video and thinking about it and kind of taking a step back and like you said i don't think the owner of mesa randall smith would have gone ahead and done any form of 
buyout with uh, with this without there being some form of guarantees. I also mm. think Gibson realized how valuable a brand Mesa is, that you just let them get on with what they're doing. You help them to expand if needs be. What it does potentially open up for is maybe in the future, if Gibson want to get into the amp market, they potentially can because they can use uh, the expertise off the likes of off Mesa and their brand. Mesa can look at maybe even potentially uh, re releasing or reissuing older design amps, which I know some people are quite excited about, which could be really, really cool. So, I mean, I think you've got to let this play out. I think just jumping to the conclusion that that's it. Mesa is going to become a cheap brand. Its quality is all going to die off and it's all going to fall apart is kind of really, really uh, getting overly, I think, just kind of overly panicking. And it's kind of like, it's the kind of thing to do. It's it's the kind of reaction yeah. you expect nowadays on the internet, right? Um, no, and, in, and like, you know, obviously, basically do have the sort of, boutique handmade thing as part of their selling point but also there is just the overall um attention to detail and the innovative designs like there's loads of features that maze boogie amps have that other amps um don't so it's obviously it's not just about the construction it's about what's being constructed and um so yeah randall like there's obviously not a huge amount of information online at this stage but randall smith um hasn't just sort of like sold it and walked away uh he's sort of joined gibson as master designer um and so i don't know quite what that means but yeah i've you know i've i've sat and sort of there's sort of various articles and essays hidden away on the mess boogie website um often from like older versions of it but where he's talking about um amplifiers and sort of like just reading him talk about different amplifier classes and the sort of reasons that they um you know individually match all the valves that go into their amps that you can just sort of bias it with the flick of a switch and you know just the the passion and dedication that goes into it i just don't believe that he's just sort of you know selling out and gonna let a crappy product come out with the name of the brand that he worked so hard to build now, obviously, it there may be um, a sort of more budget line coming out somewhere along the line. Um, I would be surprised if those still ended up holding the Mesa Boogie badge, um, whether it ends up being like a line of, of Gibson amplifiers or something else. Just sort of like the way that they've, they've kept the Gibson and Epiphone branding distinct makes me wonder whether they might do something along those routes but yeah no I, I think there is always going to be a market for your super high-end high quality Mesa boogies and I don't see Gibson screwing it up to turn down that money and I really don't see Randall Smith with his sort of you know long well-documented history of being an obsessive guy who's incredibly passionate about amplifiers I can't see him sort of, yeah, sort of standing behind a, a second-rate product. I, I also think, and we see this happen in the tech world quite a lot, um, you know, but it's begun, it's started to happen more and more in the music world over the last 10 years or so, where a big company will acquire another one, 
a little a, a company that's a bit smaller um, for whatever purposes to expand their portfolio or to open themselves up to another market. And generally, the company that's acquired the smaller company will just let the other company if it because you if if it's a failing company, fair enough, they'll go in and do things and they might asset strip them. But generally, if a, a big company that's really successful acquiring another company that's very excess, successful and got a dedicated fan base or a user base or whatever, the bigger company will just let the let the other the smaller company get on with it, and usually the management will just stay in place. You know, um, what it allows the smaller company to do is it opens up more resources. Now, um, one of the things that people were trying to trying to say in terms of a positive where one company acquired another and things went up for that company, uh, Line 6 were acquired by Yamaha a few years ago now, I think six or seven years ago. Um, and when Line 6 were acquired, I mean, Line 6 had were a company that you know you could buy good decent cheap gear but some of their some of the stuff they released was seen as laughable like their spider amps and stuff you know since yamaha I bought them out amp. <laughs> yeah i think oh. everyone does <laughs> they are shit <laughs> can never dial a good tone full one. you can make any sound in the world as long as you don't want it to sound good <laughs> <laughs> it's a great ad advertising slogan man um but yeah, but since Yamaha acquired Line 6, they've released the Helix, which has become massively popular. I think they've released like the a new pod, like the Pod Go or whatever. I, you know, I, off, the, off the top of my head, I'm making this up right now. But they've literally, they've helped to turn that brand around. They kept the same people in place, but basically Line 6 were able to use Yamaha's resources to do better research and design so that they could use better tech because Yamaha's resources are way bigger. And as I mentioned in the tech world, so, I mean, I remember when F Facebook acquired WhatsApp, everyone was like, oh shit, WhatsApp's going to become like Facebook. No, Facebook left WhatsApp to be WhatsApp. WhatsApp hasn't really, apart from a few features and things that allow you to maybe share pictures and stuff easier and do video calling now, WhatsApp hasn't changed much over the last few years. They've just left WhatsApp to be WhatsApp. You know, um, when YouTube was acquired by Google, um, Go I mean, YouTube has obviously now, it, it over, over the last few years, it, it works seamlessly. It's all part of like the Google family and everything. But at its core, Google didn't go in there and start changing things overnight. What it allowed YouTube to do was kind of have the gravitas of google and have their deep pockets to kind of expand and make sure they could like you know be this big platform so i think when you've got a, a brand like gibson acquiring a really really valuable brand that has a lot of sentiment and a lot of love from the guitar playing family you are if you're gibson and anyone who's kind of like any of their kind of like top line management who've got their who've got like half a brain cell will know to let the company carry on as it needs to especially in the interim there might be down the line you know they can kind of like do something and it, it might be mutually beneficial for both companies you know i'm not i'm not totally ruling out that yeah fine you know that gibson might fuck this up they could but i genuinely think from what i've heard and what i've seen and the way a lot of companies are working nowadays and look i mean you know um we talked about uh, I think a few years ago, Focusrite acquired Adam Audio. 
Adam, like nothing for Adam Audio, nothing's actually, they're still creating, you know, their amazing speaker line. It just means that, you know, they've kind of got maybe potentially a little bit more to help expand them. And like, you know, even other companies as well, like uh, where, where we've seen it. So I, I understand people, like people react the way they do because they're, they're worried about a very, very, a brand they love. And uh, funny enough, again, uh, Fluff actually said this on his YouTube channel. He said, I guarantee that most people who are jumping up and down about this and making the most noise and getting all worried about it are people who've probably either never even played a Mesa or haven't owned one you know they're the, and they're the people who are getting like really really uppity about it but i think you gotta kind of just give it a chance and see what happens i but i genuinely think in this day and age generally if 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 you're buying a successful company you let them carry on and like you said randall smith is not just going to be like oh yeah fine okay uh, i just want you know a lot of people are saying oh randall smith just wants to make a quick buck and he'll ride off into the sunset it at some point, Randall Smith will be able to retire and he deserves to retire. And yeah, okay, fine. He gets a massive paycheck at the end of this because, like I said, it's a very, very crowded market, the amp market, you know. And while Mesa do have a lot of love, they've got a lot of competition hot on their heels, the likes of Rev, the likes of, you know, so many different other amp manufacturers, Diesel, Engel, all these lot who are, you know, kind of like hot on their heels and kind of releasing a lot of amps. So you know, at the end of the day, it means that eventually at some point in time, the owner can step back on, step away from it. And I I think he knows what he's doing. And there would have probably been a lot of reassurances and guarantees put into the contract before the sale or the acquisition happened. You know, there'll be probably a lot of things put into that contract that we will never know. We will never oh, see. It'll yes. be a very, you know, it'll be a really complicated contract the amount of lawyers that would have been involved in that and in the in negotiations probably took a long time you know so i think i i totally understand people's fears because gibson has had a bad rep in the last few years but over the last year or so from what i've heard is they are trying to turn themselves around the management at the top right at the very top has changed which is significant so i think we got you got to kind of be um you kind of got to look at this maybe it could be a potential positive for both brands um you know I, I part of me was just like i'm just gonna grab the popcorn here and just watch people just you know lose their shit uh, which is always fun <laughs> yeah you know which is what it feels like the internet was made for and it was just kind of like it was it was interesting to see see people's reaction and yeah of course they went to the negative i think and i mean you and i both know this like you know you make one bad move uh, as a public company that gets remembered for ages for way longer than any of the good stuff you did you know um apparently the the new gibson guitars are like a lot better the qa is a lot better and everything but everyone still for a long time will remember the play authentic thing the chapter 11 bankruptcy all the other bad things so gibson's got a way to go to kind of like turn it back around so yeah it was it i mean i i'm i'm kind of like holding positive for it uh, some people were kind of hoping that, yeah, hopefully this does mean that I can maybe eventually buy an affordable version of a Mesa Boogie amp. And maybe it will, because it means that they can distribute, they can hire in more people. Fingers crossed, you know. If more people can get access to the Mesa sound, hell, that's a that's a good thing, not a bad thing. So, yeah, I, 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 I it was shocking. I was definitely like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, ooh, this is interesting news, and we definitely got to discuss this. Uh, the other acquisition that happened that was generated nowhere near as pr much press um, 
but I it was I, I I was still a bit surprised by it was um so the base company Aguilar um who make the base amps uh, the base pedals I've yes. got an Aguilar pedal and pickups as well uh, were acquired by Korg USA this week as well. Oh, were they? Uh, yeah, they were. So, so they were. I think they were acquired about two or three days before the Gibson news broke. So, I, th- I have, I think it's just that time of the year as well. With um, a lot of these acquisitions are being announced at the moment. Or oh, well, two. It's not like you know loads are happening, but still. Um, I, also because it feels like. It, everything's gearing up towards a NAM as well. Even though there's not a NAM this year, it's an online thing, but still. Um, but yeah, Aguilar got um, uh, bought, well, got acquired by Korg USA. And I was kind of like, that's interesting because Aguilar are a fairly small, in terms of the guitar community, they're a small brand. In terms of the bass guitar community, they're a, a medium-sized-ish back brand. They've got a decent uh, artist uh, roster. Um, their amps are quite well loved, and their pedals are definitely well loved. And as as, as are their pickups. I really love my um, my optimizer pedal that I've got, um, and I you know uh, and their amps have a distinct sound. So for me, I was just kind of like, well, this is going to be interesting to see where this goes because Korg are massive, man. Korg yeah. are absolutely huge. So this potentially allows. Aguilar to expand massively you know um it was literally a company that was started up by two guys um and in the mid 90s so it's not even uh it's not even a really really old company it's still a newish company i want to say um but it's it's kind of grown leaps and bounds over the last few years but i have a feeling it's going to be interesting to see what they do it it's they're going to be able to expand a lot in terms of like their distribution and stuff. I think this is, this is the thing that people don't sometimes understand. A lot of these deals get done not for, as well as for both companies mutually being able to mutually benefit from each other. And obviously at the end of the day, it's all about creating profits, right? Like we can sugarcoat it, but it's all about creating the profits and making that balance sheet look good. You know, you, you acquire, (laughs) <laughs> you acquire a company to make sure to be like well they're, they're they're creating quite a lot of profits but if we acquire them it'll look good on our balance sheet and okay fine maybe we can work on stuff together in the future to help expand our product line and help hence in, you know create more profit that's the world we well, live I in mean, in terms of korg um and amplifiers they bought vox quite a few years back um so they and, covered the guitar market and now they've got the bass yeah but, but I mean, the way that they've handled Vox, they have brought in sort of innovations from their sort of other realms. So when Vox got into the sort of modelling stuff, like my old Valvetronics, um, that was with sort of DSP technology that had come from other branches of Korg. So they've, they've sort of brought things in there, and obviously they've got economies of scale with the, the mass produ- production stuff, but they've also continued to nurture the sort of core i mean my current amp is the the hand-wired ac4 which is a beautifully made amp um yeah yeah that that is that is a really really nice yeah oh yeah i totally forgot that Korg had a had acquired um vox so that kind of makes sense that they've acquired someone like aguilar i'd be interested to see whether they bring the whole dsp stuff to aguilar that they might do they might not but with a deal like this, I think it's more also a purpose for being able to distribute worldwide a lot more easily to be able to get Aguilar to reach to more people and spread out because it is a smaller brand. And when you are a smaller brand, it's it can be quite the 
amount of money it costs to kind of like distribute your products and get that supply chain going. Yeah, and this is really boring stuff. And it's only stuff I know because I work in the industry and I work on that side of things. And I know just the amount of effort it's required to kind of get your products to enable to make sure that your products can be bought by anyone all across the world, be it from music stores or be it directly or be it online, whatever. That costs a lot of money and a lot of investment. And a lot of these smaller companies can't always do it. And that's also why a lot of these companies, you know, like the likes of Mesa, um, even the likes of Aguilar, their, their amps and stuff might be more expensive in certain parts of the world because just to be able to get it over from the US or from wherever, you know, to your home, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be really difficult. I think for a lot of these smaller companies, it's also about a supply chain thing, which is not the sexy side of things, which is not the side that you really care about if you're a consumer. You know, you want to know, like, by by this company acquiring this, what does it mean for the company that I love? Does it mean I might be able to get some of this stuff a bit cheaper? Does it mean you're going to try and innovate and do new stuff? You know, or are we going to see a kind of a something that potentially is going to be a mixture of the two brands? Um, but a lot of the time it's about the um, boring side of things, about being able to supply chain and being able to get your products out to customers cheaper, you know, which is which is which is at the end of the day is the be all and end all for all all these companies, you know. Um, it's about making sure they can they can get get their amps and their products into as many people's hands and houses. So I was I was surprised uh, I was I was a bit surprised about the Korg Aguilar one, but now that you mentioned Fox again it kind of makes sense that they've got a guitar brand. Yeah. Um and then they've got a bass brand there. So they kind of got both ends of the market there. Um you know, we'll, we'll It'll be interesting to see. Um, I don't know if Korg own any guitar. Do they own actually any gu- guitar brands themselves? I mean, do Vox you know? do make a few guitars. Um, uh, yeah, I know they do make a few guitars, but I, I just, I generally, in my head, I don't class them as a, you know. Let's, let's look up Korg. We're going to like try and do some research while we're actually doing this podcast. Yeah. Cause yeah. We're, you know. <laughs> um, yeah so i i i I just um yeah it's it's interesting to see and i'm sure we're going to see it you know what with the pandemic and everything i think we're going to see a lot more of this you know i think this there's going to be a lot of smaller companies that get acquired in order to be able to survive and be able to outlast this pandemic kind of thing you know what if if you know what i mean yeah so it looks like the other yeah they don't have that many brands actually they've got um yeah uh vox and um arp instruments as well okay which is like synths and stuff yeah okay so yeah i i'll be intrigued to see if they do actually uh maybe try and acquire like an actual guitar brand or an actual bass brand at some point if you've got the amps you know do you go to the next step up but again it depends yeah, but, i mean know. in terms of if you're making like Sort of like if you're making a synthesizer, an amplifier is technologically uh, technologically a sort of closer relative than a guitar, than a guitar is. Yeah, um, that's true. That you know, is I mean, true. in, in cool. terms of like the the Vox guitars, I mean, they, I suppose there is like actually a fair amount of because there's the, the modeling guitar that Vox have got out these days, isn't there? Um, yeah, there is. Called? Yes, yeah. 
the yeah. s- star scream. That's that's a star stream. Yeah, star stream. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind it's kind it's kind of interesting, really. Yeah, but yeah, it's just seeing these acquisitions take place and then seeing people's reaction is always is always good fun. I I first started off having quite a negative thought about the Gibson Mesa thing. I kind of was almost I was kind of almost swayed by the hive mind off you know screaming kind of rage um not well i mean i I wasn't like i personally wasn't like oh my god this is going to ruin the brand but i was kind of like this could be worrying i went straight i went more to the negative side than the positive but after stepping back for a few couple of days from the news and also watching some other people's views on it on youtube and stuff and then making some very kind of salient points and making it very eloquent points as well. And not just being like, this is going to be shit. All of Mesa's going to go down to the pan. It's just like actually being like, you know what? Look, this is what the positives could be. It could be a good thing. You know, only, yeah, I mean, day, I'm, only... I'm not going to go as far as saying that it's uh, good news because I'm not a corporate sycophant who's ever going to cheer on a brand acquisition that's that's not the sort of shit i get excited about um no but no, it's 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 not the, i don't think I it's necessarily as, bad news no uh it's i guess as musician like you know musicians are always like kind of like to think they're a, not above or they don't like you know oh we're musicians man we don't like there's always been that thing of like oh we don't care about corporations and all that you know, above it kind of thing. But I mean, a lot of the a lot of our favourite music brands and companies have become very, very big over the over the years and there's a lot of money to be made and stuff and you know, I mean this is going into totally deep conversation, but hey, we live in a capital capitalist world, baby, you know. All gotta make that money. So uh, <laughs> these kind of things happen and then obviously when people have seen one brand acquired by another brand in the past and seen what uh, that lead to the ruination of said other brand people get worried but i think yeah i i i don't think i mean look i don't own a mesa base amp i've heard good things about the mesa base amps part of me was tempted as soon as i heard about that news to go and buy a mesa mesa head <laughs> base amp head just for the fact of I'll buy it and I'll hold hold on to it for th- two or three years. And if I love it, it can be my main he- main uh, main amp head I use. But if I don't, I can sell it at a profit. It's you just know, sort of seeing the news and can I rush to the shops before they jack the prices up? Um. Yeah, before they jack the price <laughs> up and be like, look, this is a pre Gibson owned era owned um, he- uh, base head. I I know it's nowhere near as sought after as like you know the, the base stuff is nowhere near as sought after as like you know all the like a mark five or a mark four or a like dual wreck or a triple wreck from mesa obviously it's the guitar stuff that's gonna earn the serious money but there was a part of me that was like i was like seriously considering at some point i was like i might just buy one and just hold on to it and if i use it fair enough and chances i probably would but then i was like thinking about it and i was like look man i mean no i'm i'm all right i'm happy with all the gear i've i say i'm happy with all the gear i've got but you know i mean i don't need to do that that's just me kind of you know be taking it a bit over the top so yeah but it did it did enter my mind at one point i'm not gonna lie there was a part of me that was like hmm maybe i should purchase this because it'll definitely go up in value um so so yeah that 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 was an interesting thing to kind of kind of think about but um yeah um it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of this year goes with with the pandemic and everything going on. I do think we're going to see 
maybe a few more acquisitions of other companies and stuff. Um, it would not surprise me if we do. Um, you right. know. Shall we uh, wrap this up with what we've been listening to recently? Yeah, let's 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 do that. Let's do that. So, what have you been listening to? Uh, well, I suppose I follow up the last time I sort of. Um, blimey, was it last time? Uh, uh, um, <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was, wasn't it? Uh, mentioned that Khaki King had a, a new album coming out, so I've been listening to that a few times um, since then. Um, oh, what's what's your what's your verdict? I haven't listened to it yet, so um, I'll put that on my list. It's another very good album from from Khaki King. Um, I, she's a musician who I've been following for a while, and it's been really interesting, sort of watching her, and you, you sort of sort of see albums, you know, a few albums go in a certain direction, and then things sort of change up a bit. Um, and this one, there's sort of lots of. Um, sort of tracks very much built around the acoustic as you would expect um i think she had originally planned on doing another um sort of the last album she did came as a sort of live show where there was images projected onto the guitar and it was really cool and all that stuff so i think she was planning on doing another sort of live type thing and and ended up adapting it to uh, just a sort of standard album because of 2020 um but no lots of of really good stuff on there i think I think, in terms of like the, the direction and the the direction that she's going in at the minute, I think I still prefer um, the last couple of albums that that she did. The sort, of, particularly the last one, "The Neck Is the Bridge to the Body," which I think is still of the sort of the current vein that she's going in. Um, probably the best one, but no, it's a, a, lots of really good stuff on there, um, and a new album from Kaki King is always a good thing. Um, what have you been listening to? Um, I'm trying to remember when we did our last episode and if the new Pliny album had come out I don't I, I don't I think it had I don't think it had had it I think I think he'd released a couple of tracks off it but I think it was just yeah I, I, because I know we re, we re, yeah no I, I think I, you were looking fact, forward to I'm, it weren't you yeah 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 so it's be uh, yeah the new Pliny album's been um been the one that I've been listening to heavily, and the new intervals out. The new intervals album's really, really good, but the the new Plenty album is one I've been listening to extensively. Um, the production on it's absolutely amazing. Um, Simon Groves kind of like you can tell he's just stepped up as as like a mix as a yeah, producer, no, mix engineer. Yeah, just um, from a bassist point of view, I love the bass tone. There's a lot going on there in the bass. Um, there's like. Uh, bass guitar mixed with some synth bass in there which you can really hear and like a load you can tell there's a load of different plugins and kind of like octavers and things going on it sounds really cool there's um just the compositions and stuff there's a lot more there's a complexity going on there but the the it feels like the songs it's not the songs never sound like a collection of just a collection of riffs strung together you know just basically here's a riff here's an x riff here's an x it really feels like the, the the songs take you on a journey and there's a real like nice flow to them which i really like um plus there's also one of the tracks has got a really beautiful harp in it the song called glass bead which is amazing and then there's another cool. song that's got a really really awesome um uh sax um sax solo in it as well so, like Pliny's, and obviously Pliny's guitar playing is always, um, 
and the way he puts songs together and the way he always creates space for riffs and things. I just love the way he does that. The way, you know, okay, I listen to a lot of metal, which means there's always like two rhythm guitars going on and then there's a lead guitar maybe and then there's like maybe some vocals or whatever. Um, so there's always, it's always quite dense, but Pliny is able to make a track sound like so much going on, but also leave so much space for things to breathe. It's one of the things I absolutely love about what he's able to do. And it's something that I want to be able to do in some of my music going forward in the future is like, you know, I don't able to like give everything its space. And that also comes out in the production as well. So yeah, um, I highly recommend that you, you check it out and it's, it's, yeah, I just love the vibe of it. It's it, it's it's great. Um, the inter the new intervals album is also really really good. It's um again instrumental, um, very energetic. A little bit more kind of it's got a little bit more heavier than the than the previous album, um. Uh, but it's yeah, I I love I love the riffs riffs in it as well, um, and the drumming in both the both the albums are is really really good. The drumming on the Pliny album is really good, but Chris Allison uh, is a is an absolute brilliant drummer. Um, so he's, you know, yeah. Um, I think those two have been the main ones. Um, oh, and one other that I've listened to a little bit, but I need to explore a bit more is, um, so, uh, um, Deftones released a remix, released a remix album off nice. their album, White Pony. So White Pony was released 20 years ago. Um, and it's like Deftones, biggest album it's the one you know that people probably love the most and got them the most kind of like fame you know um it's also quite a unique sounding album um so in order for to celebrate 20 years off it uh they've released a remix album so the remix album is called black stallion um so they've 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 done quite a cool thing um which you can buy is both the albums put together and they've released as one thing so there's white pony black stallion which is kind of cool and they've got some cool artwork for it but um i've obviously just been listening to it online but the great thing is the band haven't as far as i know the band haven't remixed it it's they've sent each each track has been remixed by a different person so mike shinoda off lincoln parks remix one i think um who else if you just bear with me i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna quickly bring this up just because so i Sheet. can uh I know, right? I, uh, what kind of what kind of fan am I? What kind of fan am I? Just you know, keep people entertained while I while I quickly do this. I thought you said you'd listened to it a couple of times. I can't believe you haven't memorized. I've listened to a few of the tracks. All the track of exactly. ev <laughs> listing of every track. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no! I, 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 I'm just I'm just trying to see who. Ah, oh, here we go. So yeah, they've basically released it as a double album now called White Pony Black Stallion, and it's, it's kind of cool. So they've got the original album is the is the is the first. Um, 11 tracks and then they've kind of got the remix album after that from like tracks 12 to 20 um which is uh yeah from tracks 12 to 20 so yeah you've got like i've listened to a few of the tracks like uh the remix of um of uh knife party by purity ring is absolutely awesome the mix remix of passenger by mike shinoda is is really really cool um robert smith off the cure has remixed um, oh, really? their track yeah their track teenager which is really really good and yeah they t the the thing i love about it is they've done it's done totally different things to the songs like they go off if you listen to the original you know it's got that kind of slightly new metal like that metal vibe to it that deftones do but then there's 
the remixes have taken it in a different way and you've got slightly more dancier vibes but it still keeps the core of the track you can still hear what makes those tracks great and they've mm. got all the elements so i really like in if you want to see uh i mean i've I haven't bought a remix album or haven't heard a remix album in a long time, but obviously this one I'm paying attention to because it's Deftones. I love Deftones. And obviously as a Deftones fan, I love White Pony. So, so far what I've heard of it, really, really good. And if you want to hear a good example of a remix album, I'd say go check it out, you know. Um, that's pretty cool, yeah, yeah. See what you think. And yeah, that's that's mainly been it, you know. I have a feeling... I'm going to go on a massive children of bottom binge soon, <laughs> obviously. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much been it. And apart from that, I've been listening to uh, a lot of audiobooks and kind of, kind of that's, that's pretty much been it, man. Just, you know, well, one thing I did notice and I was kind of almost grateful for is people weren't doing their top 10 albums or top 10 lists of things this year as much on social media. Um, I think everyone's a bit too been a bit too preoccupied with what's going on in the world, um, but it's kind of nice, yeah, not to see those lists for once because I think it was just like every year it was becoming this thing of like oh yeah I'm going to put my top ten up of this and I think like people are just like you know what this year just nah I don't think we need so it's kind of been nice not to see that but I also th I mean you know I know bands and stuff have a lot of bands and stuff have held back from certain releases and stuff, um, but it's been awesome as always yeah, you know that's a good one. It's, so uh, until next time i will chat to you later right bye keep on rambling <laughs>